Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts. So kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. Lauren Curry is a European designer who is a champion for diversity and has received an OBE for her work. How do you bring diversity to the speaker lineup at a conference? We start with a red sofa. Lauren, we are delighted to have you here today on the Fireside with Boxcake podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Wonderful. And we're going to start with a somewhat interesting item. You're kind of obsessed with sofas. Tell me about sofas. <laughs> so my obsession with sofas started three years ago. And to cut a long story short for you, I'm often the only woman speaking at a conference. I'm often the only woman on the panel and very regularly the only one of many white faces on a stage. And I've got a rule that I stole from Swiss Miss, a brilliant design blogger, um, for any of you who don't know who that is. And she talks about you're only allowed to complain about something three times and then you need to try and fix it. Okay. So I definitely used up my quota of coming home from events very angry, very disappointed. And I decided I was going to try and do something about it. So I started talking to people and really listened to them as to why they weren't putting themselves on stage, why they Mm -hmm. didn't see themselves as somebody who could one day talk on stage. And, you know, the answers were really complex. The idea of standing on a big raised stage in front of a big sea of people is, is scary for everybody. And nobody ever gets to experience that before you're actually up there and you're expected to be witty and clever with the sea of people looking at you. So I I wanted to invent a way to experience the stage in a safe way. So almost a way to job shadow speakers. So my theory was, what if we could get people like you and I, who keynote regularly and we're comfortable and we're confident up there. What if we had a big red sofa on stage with us where people with stage fright could sit up there comfortably and feel their heart beating and their hands sweating and all the crazy things that happen to your body when you're in that situation and just be and just take it all in from the other side. So let me picture this. You're on the stage and (laughs) there's a, a literal big red sofa and you get to sit on it. Yeah, so the way it works is the conference will send an email and they'll say, so... Our keynote speaker, Richard, is going to be up front. And this means that you can grab a seat on stage with him where there's no pressure to speak or perform at any time. You know, the speaker introduces you and talks about why you're there, talks about what up front is. You just get to sit there and experience it. It's a bit like dipping your toe in the water before you learn to swim. And so people apply. And sometimes we get 500 applications for a four-seater couch. Lovely. (laughs) Sometimes we get 20. Every event is different. Every 
country and sector is different. But we've been doing it for three years now and we've had over 500 people sit on the couch at different events all over the world. And we now know that for the people who sit on the couch, it totally changes their relationship with public speaking, their perception of audiences. And actually, the audiences are really kind most of the time. Um, and they are 30% more likely to speak on stage themselves one day. Although I will say for any rebels listening, that is a process to follow. So if you run a conference or if you're a speaker or you'd love to get the sofa at your event, uh, do get in touch because often, you know, the, it's nerve wracking and it's sensitive. So we've got a duty of care to follow for everybody that takes part. For sure. Okay. So you have a process now for doing this. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. people should contact you if, if, if I'm running a conference and I want to yes. do this. Okay. That's amazing. How did you get the idea? So the idea came from all these conversations I was having with people. It started at one particular conference in Bristol where I just was so cross at how undiverse the lineup was. And I was looking out to a very diverse audience. I decided to, I put a post-it note in the toilet that said, would you like to be on stage one day? Uh, Tweet me at Red Jotter. And all of a sudden, my Twitter was on fire. There was a queue of people waiting to speak to me to tell me about their reasons as to why, you know, either the times they tried and didn't feel welcome or heard or the fact that it is something they would love to do, but they've got no idea where to start or, you know, and all the reasons, all the everything in between. And that's why I decided to zoom right in on this idea of experiencing the stage because it is such a complex thing. You know, there's people doing PhDs mm-hmm. in intersectional feminism trying to figure some of this stuff out. And it's it's hard and it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. But this notion of how can we, you know, imagine there was an upfront sofa on every single stage, you know, from the UN to Google headquarters to every TED Talk. I like you know, it. Yeah. Dramatically speed up that journey of getting different types of people and voices on stages. And I think it's important to really recognize because some people get a bit confused, I think, because the people don't speak, because they imagine people who are ready to be speakers and are aspiring speakers yeah. are much more further along on that journey. These are people who are still at the very start of that journey and wouldn't wouldn't feel comfortable to, to introduce themselves. But the beauty of it is that it's a safe space where they can just be and, and the, it's the speaker's job to hold that space for them. And how do the speakers work with the sofa? I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, from my perspective as a speaker, it sounds pretty cool because I don't, it just doesn't have to be just me and I have this sort of little support group almost for myself on stage. Have you had pushback from speakers or are speakers generally supportive? The sentiment you share is one that I've heard uh, many times, which is this idea of like, it's much less lonely and scary yeah, up here because yeah. I've got like five buddies who kind of gone through this with me and there's five more people for the audience to stare at that are not me. And also, I think for some speakers, they're very aware of how big the problems are, particularly, you know, in, in the tech world, but they're not really sure what to do about it. And being upfront is a very practical, tangible where you can make a statement about, I recognize this problem. And I see that actually I play a role in that problem. And this is the step that I'm taking to open up that conversation Uh, and try and make things better. Okay. Yeah, I would love to say that all the speakers I talk to are signing up and love it. Unfortunately, 
you know, I meet some people who get it instantly and are immediately on board and I get some who who just don't get it and just don't want to take the time or the care and attention. But I made the decision probably a couple of years ago to focus on the people who do get it and who are excited rather than trying to convince yeah. skeptics. Well, you know, if you do something that creates change, you generally create polarization anyway. If, if people are sort of, yeah, it means mm-hmm. you're not effective. If there are haters, you know you're doing something. Yeah. Can we focus a little bit, just going back to what you said about the, the people that came to you and talk a little bit about the challenges or the fears they expressed about public speaking. And, and mm-hmm. Did they fall into certain categories? Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of go into that to understand how people address those issues. Yeah, definitely. There's very consistent patterns and the patterns that I've become obsessed by are the ones that come up for for women mm. and, and people who don't see themselves represented, you know, from people with disabilities, trans people, these people who we, we don't see on stage and, and on screen. And a big part of the problem and the problem that we feel and of course you know I've got my lived experience my version of that but you know being a white woman has offered me huge privilege so I try and listen very hard in the conversations that we have and you know the emails that I get and the workshops that we run and a big part of it is you can't be what you can't see so it's lack of role models and a feeling of not being good enough. You know, I think women beat themselves up because not being confident enough and not being a great public speaker is another thing that we have to feel guilty about and maybe get better at or go on a course to fix or read a book to improve when actually, you know, all of us are a product of our lived experience. It's not our fault that we've responded to the messages that we've been given since our childhood, which is you know, ultimately systems and structures designed for power and leadership that is that is male. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How it, it, it all comes down to power dynamics, really. Yeah, it really does. There's so much intellectualization of it, but it's, it's, all, it's just fundamentally sort of, you know, who's the alpha monkey in the tree? Yeah, so I think it's that, you know, and there's huge excitement, but also fear of... How how do I do this, and what does it look like, and how do I how do I do this in a way that's that is genuine and authentic and fits with who I am and what I want to say to the world, and you know, there's a whole other bit of it which is well, I'm not good enough, and who would want who wants to know what I've got to say, and well, what's the point? Because there's already a hundred other people who have said what I want to say, like this kind of waiting. There's a lot. I mean, I'd be, I'd be conscious that millions of people who are waiting for something that they don't need to wait for. So it's like I'm waiting to get that job promotion or I'm waiting till I've written a book or I'm waiting till I've written the script or I'm waiting till I've launched this business. And, and then they'll feel like somehow they can give themselves permission to stand up and, and speak about whatever it might be. And, you know, I'm, I really hope people listening can take away that you are ready now. Yeah. Like you will never be ready. You start where you are and it's not going to be brilliant and perfect first time. And it, it never is. It's, it's a constant learning journey and it's a constant 
you know, iterating of your story and your content and your voice. But you have to start. And there's way too many talented people not starting. And the sofa, in a way, gives a start that is accessible. Well, what happens after the sofa? So somebody has the courage to volunteer to go on the sofa or, or sign up, but they go through the process and they're lucky enough to end up on the sofa. What's, what are the next steps? The world post sofa. So <laughs> yeah. often, you know, when it goes well, when there's an audience and, an, you know, because you know yourself, all conferences are different. And I think sometimes the audience are kind and beautiful. There's a standing ovation, there's big rounds of applause, then the People in the audience seek the people out. You know, they'll be like coming to find them at lunchtime at the breaks. And like, I've seen you on stage and how did it go? And, you know, I run an event. Would you like to come and speak at my event? Or I run a blog. Could I interview you for my blog? So there's often a huge elation and feeling of energy and excitement and inspiration and a, a determination to keep that going. And what we do is we have a call with everybody one-to-one as well to understand a bit about the whole process from start to finish, you know, from before and the recruitment process was happening and on the stage and then afterwards. And then we sign them up to our newsletter where every two weeks we are pushing out content that we, you know, we really believe will help and inspire people who are on that journey. And we're in the process of figuring out what our community is and how we you know, we've we've done the Facebook group and the Slack group and stuff, but yeah. nothing has quite stuck yet um and we're kind of in that messy phase of you know not quite big enough to hire somebody to look after the community but big enough that there's you know there's a hunger and a demand for people who have been part of upfront in some shape or form to continue the conversation so that's something that we're figuring out and i'd really love to hear ideas or examples from other places if anybody listening has any it sounds like a key stakeholder group is conference organizers they they can be hugely helpful yeah i think the challenge there is you know they're they are some of the most busy and stressed people you can ever meet (laughs) yeah so when i want to talk to them about something that really does require even though it is very simple, it does require some thoughtfulness and some attention because unfortunately it has gone wrong in the very early days when I didn't really think we would need a process and it was much more fluid. You know, it's an awful man from Microsoft who was speaking and he asked the people on the couch to dance. Oh, Lord. And it was... Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, Lord. So that, that's kind of where the process has come from. But yeah. to ask conference organizers to kind of take time out to, to have that conversation is sometimes tricky. But some, all we get emails every week from conference organizers who are like, I've seen your couch and I want to make it happen. How do we do it? Fantastic. Okay, so the, the wheel is turning. It's starting to accelerate, which is fantastic. When you started speaking, Lauren, there wasn't a big red sofa. Uh, no. How did you start speaking? So I'm probably a bit of a strange creature and that I really enjoy it I haven't always enjoyed it so at school I didn't enjoy it but I was very lucky in that I discovered design which has been my career since school really and I discovered design when I was mm, maybe 13 14 so from that age I had a really clear focus on what my passion was and what I cared about and the discipline and the area that I wanted to become an expert in and wanted to know everything there was to know about. And I think because of that focus and because I was 
genuinely so engaged in that it was easy for me to talk about design from quite an early age and now I can look back on that I can see that that was a huge asset that enabled me to speak confidently and calmly because I had so much belief and enthusiasm for my topic yeah and I think that's a gift almost Mm -hmm. if you have something like that that you're really into then you do have something to say Mm -hmm. but I think it's important I'm going to realize that everybody has something to say. It's it's not just if you're not just if you're a total obsessive about something. Uh, everybody's experiences are, are super super interesting, and yeah. there's, there's something to learn in everybody's experiences. In yeah, I mean, I would I would go as far as to say as you know, right now, given my recent experience of becoming a parent, I'm far more inspired and interested to hear talks about you know how parenthood has changed somebody, for example. Or, you know, how the death of somebody they love has, has changed them rather than, you know, here's my expertise in like web development or service design. Because uh, I think, as you say, like that's where the really special magic stuff comes from and, and can really change people's lives. Like talks like that change things for the better. Yeah, you should always remember that. Part of what you have is the potential to really make a difference in somebody's life. And maybe it's just in their career. You can say things that resonate with people. It's easy to underestimate the impact that speaking can have, that that form of communication can have. Exactly. Totally agree. And I always encourage people. I think people trip up on this feeling like there's a, what's the persona or the version of themselves that they want to portray? And I really think that if we all got better at just being more of who we are, like I am, you know, I'm a sister and a mother and a managing director and a founder and a friend and, you know, all the, all the things that we all are and like bringing all that into the talk because that way you become much more relatable and much more human. And I think when I get, just get really bored is like sitting through talks that are following the same mm. formula and I don't really have a sense of who the person is. Yeah, and you and you get these sort of talks that are or people think they have to be uh, like Tony Robbins or somebody like that, and they have to, oh. like you say, they have to put this persona on or be larger than life. Yeah, it's kind of boring or it's it's formulaic. Yeah, it really is. I think it's important to realize as well that it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, one of my favorite questions that I often ask guests is uh, just to talk about a time when you kind of you really screwed up, or <laughs> you're standing on the stage and you're like this. This is going badly. First of all, has that ever happened to you? Maybe you could talk us through what you learned. Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm a total champion of mistakes are the source of data. Mistakes are Indeed. where mistakes are where the learning comes from. So the one that springs to mind is one of the very first talks that I gave with uh, my ex-business partner, where we were invited back to speak at her art school. And I must say, actually, some of the very first talks that I did were at my art school after graduation. And I think having people who know you invite you back into a a space that's fairly safe is a really really great thing. So for people listening, it's like contact your old high school or your old college or your old university because they're always really hungry for stories from old students. Mm. Uh, But yeah, so we were given a talk at the art school and I had left my Skype open. Okay. And, <laughs> and my flatmate typed a rude word uh, into my Skype that came up on the screen. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, on the notifications yeah. that popped up. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. So that was, yeah. that was quite rough. But I mean, I, 
it's like you never learn that lesson twice. Now I'm like notification obsessed. It all gets closed and minimized, even when I'm going in, going into a meeting, just in case. Oh, absolutely. Pro tip: if you're presenting, turn it all off. Everything, shut it all down. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, that's an important lesson. (laughs) Did it perturb the rest of your your talk? Was it going around inside your head while you were trying to give the rest of the talk? Or no, and I think I was lucky because it was a student audience, so actually it really it made everybody laugh, and there was a a kind of lightness to it, which you know, let's be honest, if that had happened in the Houses of Parliament, that wouldn't have been okay. So I think. Context is everything. Uh, yeah, and I mean, other things that have, that can happen to you as a speaker is if you if you're asked to send in your your deck beforehand, and then you mm-hmm. turn up and it's on something some other computer, and all the formatting is gone, mm-hmm. which is something that drives me nuts. I mean, in, in the tech conference space, it's more normal to use your own machine, but that sort of stuff can really throw you as well. It really can, and I know that as a designer, even though my practice is primarily focused on experiences and services, I of course have a designer's ability for beautiful beautiful (laughs) things so i am very opinionated about fonts and color palettes and if i turn up to a slide deck and all the fonts are missing it it really does yeah it's stressful and I, i used to do a lot of speaking in the public sector in the early days of my first business which was trying to bring about you know public service reform through design and creativity and we were kind of right in the center of the social media storm, if you like, lots of organizations trying to understand what the internet yeah. was and how they could use it to talk to their people. And I would have a whole talk full of social media examples, hashtags, and I'd turn up to announcements of no, mo- no mobile phones, no internet, and slides that couldn't be, you know, just the irony uh, of... Uh, and I guess tech conferences are the same when you're standing up to talk about really progressive technical infrastructure, but yet we can't we can't figure well, out a way to, yeah, to make our slides look like what we want them to look I like. Know. Well, I mean, a lot of tech talks, uh, some of them involve demos and, and live coding and that sort of stuff. You, you sort of need to have yeah. your own machine. Yeah. Um, it's part of the show. Lauren, this has been really, really fantastic. If people want to catch up with you, they uh, they just have to follow the red sofa <laughs> at the next conference. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. No, you're welcome. I had fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay, bye for now. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com slash speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, 
and step forward. 